the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to today's podcast, sponsored by Hillsdale College. All things Hillsdale at Hillsdale.edu. I encourage you to take advantage of the many free online courses there. And, of course, to listen to the Hillsdale Dialogues, all of them at Q for Hillsdale.com, or just Google Apple, iTunes, and Hillsdale. Morning, Glory America. Bonjour, I, Canada. Good morning to you, wherever you are. If you're on your way to work, have a great day. Drive safely. Raining in the West again. Who knows what it's doing in the East? I want to begin by focusing on the border. Because yesterday, Senator Kristen Sinema, one of the small group of senators who are trying to draft a, quote, border security bill, got mad and lashed out at people like me who are critical of the bill. Now, we don't actually know what's in the bill. All I can tell you is what I know what's not in the bill as of the last time I talked to one of the negotiators. Any border wall. So there's no border wall. So my view is no wall, no deal. I'll come back to what she has to say in a moment and what my response is. But first, let's hear what Speaker Johnson has had to say. And if you're in the Senate and you're drafting a bill that you hope to get passed and you're just not showing off, you would listen to the Speaker of the House, cut number 27. Since President Biden and Alejandro Mayorkas assumed office, there have been more than 7 million encounters with illegal aliens just at our southern border alone. 35 of our 50 states, including my home state of Louisiana, don't have a population at large. Yet that's how many people have been apprehended in just the past three years. Among those who have been apprehended on the southern border but between ports of entry, more than 300 individuals who are on our terror watch list. Terrorist watch list. The, the frightening question is, If so many terrorists were caught attempting to cross our borders, how many have entered undetected? We suspect it is a much higher number. And we know that there are at least 1.8 million gotaways that we know have escaped uh, CBP. Who knows what dangerous plans those gotaways are making and, and, and what foreign adversaries they may be speaking with. Understand the situation at our border presents a clear and present danger to our national security, and it demands that it be addressed. I like this because finally people are talking about it. Yesterday on the Commentary Magazine podcast, John Podhoritz spoke at length about the fact that our enemies aren't stupid. Iran sponsors terror attacks against America. They killed three Americans this week in Jordan. They have bombed synagogues in Argentina. They have been behind plots to send Iranians over the border to kill the Saudi Arabian ambassador and Dr. Oren, by the way, at the restaurant. Uh, Cafe Milano in Georgetown that everyone knows about. They have, for years, murdered abroad. That's what the Quds Force is. That's their expeditionary force. Do you think they don't notice that basically anybody can get across our border? Anybody, anytime, anywhere. Do you think they are so unsophisticated as to not recognize what would happen to the United States economy if a series of terrorist attacks occurred? And so yesterday, for the first time, I heard smart people sitting around talking about the fact that we are at risk 
of terrorists coming across the southern border. Three million people is its own problem. That's a lot of cost. That's a lot of burden on a system to take care of refugees, on a system to provide public health care, private edu- uh, secondary education, public education. It's a lot of burden when eight million people come into your country without permission over three years. Mike Lawler went on. He's a Republican congressman from New York and a good one went on CNN with Jake Tapper yesterday and said, here's the bare minimum, cut number one. First of all, Jake, nobody's actually seen the final details. And I think that uh, it is necessary for everyone to actually see the details uh, before uh, making a definitive statement on it. My objective is threefold. Secure the border. uh, Stop this massive influx of not only migrants, but human trafficking, drug trafficking. Uh, You know, in 2022, 70,000 Americans lost lost their lives to fentanyl overdose, much of the fentanyl coming across our southern border. We have to secure the border. What the speaker is saying and the point he is making is, yes, it's never been zero, but we have to enforce our laws. This administration has failed miserably in its responsibility to secure the border. Since Joe Biden took office, nearly 10 million migrants have crossed our southern border, many of them illegally. 90% of them are released into our country. Catch and release must stop as the official policy of this administration. Remain in Mexico should be reinstated. So there is a lot of work ahead. Uh, I am curious to see if the Senate can actually pass a deal. House Republicans passed H.R. 2 back in May uh, of last year. We went through a long process. We negotiated that bill in our House. Uh, The Senate has yet to actually produce a product. Yes, they are negotiating. Yes, they are working through it. But let's see them actually pass a bill and then negotiate with the House. That is how this works. It is not just the House accepts what the, what the Senate does. We ha- Mike Lawler added this, cut number two. Well, it's certainly a good step, Jake, uh, but Jared and I introduced the SHIP Act uh, last year and passed it through the House in the aftermath of the October 7th terrorist attack. And what it would do is implement secondary sanctions on the purchase of Iranian petroleum. Uh, the illicit Iranian petroleum uh, sales the oil trade, uh, it is what is fueling uh, the funding of terrorism in the Middle East right now. Iran is the greatest state sponsor of terror. They use the proceeds from this oil trade uh, to fund Hamas, Hezbollah, the Houthis, and others, uh, including uh, the terrorist attack that uh, took the lives of three service members this past weekend. We need to act. Uh, the Senate needs to pass this legislation. The White House needs to sign it. Uh, because if we are to stop and combat uh, the terrorism that is occurring, we need to start with the funding source. And that we is- need to see the bill. All right, now, yesterday, Kristen Cinema was mad at the media, and The Hill ran a story, and I wrote a column for Fox News in response, the title of which is Morning Glory. That's what my column is known at Fox News. What's in the border security bill? Why won't the Senate negotiators release the text as they are upset about misinformation about it? The column reads this way. The ongoing negotiations over a border security bill continue. Almost daily, the public is promised the text of the draft any day now. Senator Kirsten Cinema, independent from Arizona, lambasted critics of the bill as it leaked out detail by detail. Quote, the stories that are swirling about the bill does and doesn't do are wrong, Cinema argued Wednesday. It is misinformation. 
and whether it is willful or not, is someone else's question to answer. But the rumors that are swirling about what this legislation does are wrong. Now, the only rumor I have is that there is no wall in the border bill, and therefore it's not a border bill, and it should fail. It shouldn't get out of the Senate. That's my only rumor. I've confirmed that rumor with a couple of senators. There is no wall, but maybe they'll change. I hope they change. I don't know how speculation, I continue, I do not know how speculation about an unreleased bill can be, quote, misinformation, as there is no measure against which any particular allegation can be measured. Get it? If you don't have a measure, you can't measure. So I don't know what's in the bill. Kristen Sinema says people are saying misinformation about the bill. We don't know what's misinformation because we don't know what's in the bill. In all of the stories about the negotiations, I continue, there has been no talk of the 900-mile wall, which is necessary, if not sufficient, requirement for any border security bill to pass. More than half of the country supports the wall, 51% to be specific, and 9 out of 10 Republicans support the wall. Get that? 9 out of 10. So the question is obvious. Why don't we know anything about the wall and the bill? And if the wall isn't in the bill, why not? A good guess, just a guess, not a misinformation, is that the bill doesn't have 900 miles of wall in it, or even 400 miles, which could be used to finish that part of the wall that hasn't ever even been started. The lack of details about the negotiation leads border security folks like me to suspect the bill is yet another face plant by the Senate GOP on immigration reform. Hope that I'm wrong. Many things have been done to secure the thor- many things have to be done to secure the border. Regularization of the migrants in the country without criminal records would be a boon to everyone. We need to expedite military aid to Israel, Taiwan, and Ukraine, but not at the expense of the wall. People are rightly serious about the security of our allies. Those who are out there, and they are, and I am among them, have to first be concerned about American security. That security begins at the southern border with the wall. I suspect Republicans who vote for a compromise without the wall will forever regret it as an imprudent move made in haste and over the many objections that they have heard and the arguments that they have chosen to ignore. Now, the reason I'm I'm reading that to you is you hear it here. You hear it here again. again. No wall, no border. You agree with that. Nine out of ten, no border bill. Nine out of ten Republicans agree with that. What in the world do the Republicans in the Senate think they are doing when nine out of ten of the Republicans in the country want a border wall, a 900-mile, long, tall, strong border wall maintained, patrolled, repaired, 900 miles of it across the Indian reservations, across every passable foot? If it's not there, it doesn't work. We're exposed to the threat of terror. And that's got to end. Stay tuned. I'm Hugh Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Thank you for joining me this morning. Aaron Arsen Ostrovsky. Arsen is an international human rights lawyer. He joins us from Tel Aviv this morning, where he has the International Legal Forum. Arsen, good morning. It's great to have you. You know, a lot of Americans saw two stories this week, one about UNRWA and one about the ICJ, neither of which we're very familiar with. And I'm a pretty good lawyer, but I hadn't ever known about the ICJ having... Uh, the ability to receive a, a complaint about genocide from a third-party country and act on it. And I'd never, ever heard of UNRWA. 
And I follow Israel pretty much every day on the show. Let's start with, with UNRWA, what it is, and then let's go to the ICJ and what it did. Sure. First of all, Hugh, thank you for having me on. It's uh, truly a pleasure and honor to be here with you and uh, very much admire your uh, your show and uh, indeed your your voice and your, your sense of moral clarity, which I think is quite lacking for so many today. Uh, but I'm very happy to see it um, you. on your show. Look, uh, regarding, regarding UNRWA, UNRWA was created um, in 1949, basically in the wake of the Arab uh, armies or Arab countries' failure to defeat the State of Israel upon its independence in 1948. And it was meant to be a temporary agency, temporary body created by the UN to help um, alleviate, to help resettle uh, the so-called Palestinian refugees. It was meant to be a temporary agency. Fast forward 75 years later, UNRWA has not resettled a single Palestinian refugee, not a single one. Instead, what it has done... It has perpetuated this conflict. It has acted as as an incubator uh, for incitement, for hatred, for division. Um, It has taken billions of dollars, literally taxpayer dollars, including including quite a lot from the United States. And quite often, instead of that money going towards the people of Gaza, uh, we have seen it being siphoned by Hamas terrorist uh, group. Now, the other quite preposterous thing is that you have... At the United Nations, you have one agency devoted solely to Palestinian refugees, which, by the way, has one unique definition to what a refugee even is. It keeps uh, going on in perpetuity, meaning a third, fourth, fifth generation Palestinian could be a refugee. So someone like Bella or Gigi Haddad can be considered so-called Palestinian refugees, which is, you know, preposterous. So you have one agency for Palestinian refugees and you have one agency for refugees for the entire world. You know, that, that is the absurdity we, we are looking at. And how big is UNRWA? Because I was stunned by the amount of money and by the number of employees. Gaza is not that big. I know it's two and a half million people. But like the Beltway, it, this would be the biggest not-for-profit going in the Beltway if it was in the Beltway. But it turns out that all of the U.N. schools that I thought were U.N. schools and a lot of the U.N. activities that I thought were good government activities Turns out to have been whole or in part co-opted by and used by Hamas. And I was not aware of that until this week. Look, you know, I I think that UNRWA has been the biggest Ponzi scheme, uh, quite simply, in the history of uh, the United Nations. Uh, Really quite fitting uh, that it falls within the UN system itself. Um, You know, it's hard to even estimate how many billions of dollars have poured into UNRWA, um, including from the United States, from Europe um, as well. Interestingly, very little money, relatively very little money coming from uh, the Arab uh, community itself, which I think is telling in and of itself. Um, but, you know, it's UNRWA, you know, it's, in, in some ways it's really just blown to this massive issue in the, last, in the last few days. And some people are saying, you know, we are shocked. We are shocked to hear some of the, you know, the revelations coming from the Wall Street Journal, New York Times. And, but quite frankly, there is no need to be shocked you know, those of us really that have been following this, you know, are, are about as shocked at these revelations as we were to hear that, you know, the Pope was Catholic, uh, pardon my pun. You know, for years now we have, we have pleaded with UN officials, we have pleaded with members of Congress and European lawmakers, look at what UNRWA is doing. You are receiving hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars and that money is going towards um, hiding rockets in UNRWA schools and facilities. We have seen even during this war, um, UNRWA cement bags that are meant to go towards construction 
for the Palestinian people, we have seen that instead going towards the terror tunnels, the same tunnels that Hamas is now keeping hostages, not only Israeli, but also American hostages as well. We have seen their books riddled with the most vile, intense anti-Semitism, incitement, glorification of Hamas, and even glorification of Hitler and the Nazis as well. And then this week we have, you know, the bombshell reports, Wall Street Journal and New York Times, and of course the hearing in Congress as well, which is, um, you know, I'm happy to, t- to talk on that as well. But that's well, I really that's am, I'm more interested a, now in what the victims of 10-7 do. Uh, there is a statute in the United States called the Alien Tort Claims Act. It's been used before uh, by the victims of the Hanak Teller-Ren massacre back in the um, in the late 70s. And I was on the D.C. circuit when I got up to the circuit and I worked for one of the judges for whom it was a problem. But the Alien Tort Claims Act allows victims, foreign victims, to sue in United States court for damages in relation to the injuries they've suffered. It seems to me that UNRWA is now liable, as is every employee, as is everyone else involved with Gaza. Do you share that opinion, uh, Arson? Uh, Absolutely. You know, there are a number of different avenues to pursue, both legal, political and obviously diplomatic. Um, Just in the last 48 hours, a major civil action has been filed um, in the U.S. by uh, victims, including dual Israeli and American victims, uh, in this case suing Iran for one billion dollars. Of course, we know that, uh, you know, Iran, along with Qatar, is the sponsor of uh, of Hamas. They fund them, they provide them with money, with weapons, with training, and quite frankly, Hamas operates at the behest of the Islamic Republic of Iran. Um, with, with respect to UNRWA, uh, there's a number of, diff- uh, number of uh, angles. UNRWA as an agency does enjoy a sense of diplomatic immunity. Okay, that's but right. one thing at. that we... Yeah, but it's, it's not so clear because one thing, for example, that we have done together with the with our colleagues in the National Jewish Advocacy Center and other lawyers, is we actually um, filed a submission to the IRS. Ah. Now, there is ah. UNRWA. Now, now, now we're talking. There is the UNRWA agency, and then in the U.S. you have UNRWA USA. UNRWA USA is a 501c3 charitable institution which has uh, as one of its key pillars, key missions, to fundraise for UNRWA. So any U.S. citizen that uh, donates to UNRWA USA, they do so under the 501c3 charitable status. They get tax deductions, and that money then goes to UNRWA. Last year, or sorry, for uh, 2022, they raised almost $4 million for UNRWA, the single largest private donation to UNRWA. So what we have said is that that is a breach of the federal legislation, including with respect to the IRS, because that money is going to uh, to a group that is actively involved in terrorism, um, in violence, against U.S. policy, and noting especially that now we have not, not only the United States, but 20 countries around the world that have frozen funds to UNRWA precisely because of these incredible alarming allegations that UNRWA staff were not only passive participants, but they were active participants on a wide scale in the Hamas terror attacks of October 7, including committing the attacks, procuring weapons, um, holding Israelis hostage, uh, cheering this on. And one of the most striking figures was that, you know, a lot of people have said, well, this is just a few bad apples. Here, this is not a few bad apples. This is an entire organization that is rotten to the core 
with over 10%, 1,200 staff of UNRWA in Gaza are directly connected to Hamas and Islamic Jihad. UNRWA is not well, any kind what, of... Uh, Arson, that, that, yeah. that raises to me the question, I, I don't want to geek out on our, our audience here, but there's an ultra-viris doctrine where an employee goes out of their way to do something that's got nothing to do with their employment, the employer becomes culpable for what they do. Uh, I know they have diplomatic immunity at the U.N., but aren't there other places where lawfare can be directed? And let's broaden it out to South Africa as well, because it seems to me that South Africa also ought to be in the sights of anyone who wants to strike back against the lawfare and the terror being waged against Israel. Absolutely. Now, look, um, with UNRWA, it's a little bit more difficult because of that diplomatic community within the UN system as much as we might loathe it. Uh, but there are a number of other buttons. can press, certainly IRS is one option. Within Congress, we've already seen a number of bills, including one by Brian Mast and a number of others that have been put to disband and defund UNRWA. Uh, at the end of the day, money talks, certainly when it comes to this kind of organization. Uh, with respect to South Africa, very interesting. You know, South Africa launched the claim against Israel for genocide. And it's, you know, the most incredible subversion, not, not only a travesty of uh, and a mockery of human rights, but really a travesty and a perversion of the very meaning of the word genocide. Now, it's in fact, it's not Israel that ought to have been on trial there, but, not, but Hamas, but not only Hamas. And I'll go one step further, South Africa itself, because under the Genocide Convention, we, what we're seeing is that South Africa, in fact, are the ones that are embracing Hamas and embracing the Iranian regime. They're also embracing Russians and Chinese and others, but specifically Iran and Hamas. These two entities, they are the ones that are not only committing acts of genocide, which is what Hamas did, but with the Iranian regime obviously inciting and being very open about their intentions of annihilating the state of Israel. So now you have South Africa that is embracing these two genocidal regimes. So in fact, South Africa, the ones that are in breach of their obligation on the Genocide Convention, and I would very much support and uh, recommend and certainly suggest that action be taken against them. Arson, uh, tell, tell our audience about, the, they now see Arson Ostrovsky on the, on the air and they're listening. How do they help you out? What is the name of the organization that does the most lawfare on behalf of Israel? And by lawfare, I mean using the courts to defend the, the Jewish state. What's the name of it? How do people find you? The organization is called the International Legal Forum. Uh, we're an Israel-based uh, group, but we have a global coalition of some 4,000 lawyers around the world, including many in the United States. And we, you know, our, our primary mission is very simple. It's to use the law to not only defend the state of Israel, defend the Jewish people, and quite frankly, defend our shared common va democratic values, which we very much share in the United States, Israel and the United States. Because when you see these kinds of lawfare attacks against Israel, it's only Israel that's affected. The U.S. is affected as well. Because when someone goes to the ICJ and the court sets such an incredibly low threshold, you create a preposterous situation where someone like China, North Korea for that matter, Iran even, as signatories, so they could file a claim of genocide against the U.S. and potentially put U.S. military forces in danger. What it can do is it can hamper and constrain and put tie with one hand behind our backs democracy's ability to fight terrorism. It's that incredible. which it's gets rewarded so gets repeated. We're, we're going to see them do this again and again. Yep. And I hope, Arson, that you keep coming back. International Legal Forum. Go Google it. Find out where Arson can be found and, and help them out. Maybe if you're in the United States, become 
a participating lawyer. Lawfare matters a lot, and both sides have to use it. The International Legal Forum. I'll be right back, America. Stay tuned. Thank you, Arson Orzovsky. Thank you so much. Welcome back, America QQ, at live inside the ReliefFactor.com studio. Dr. Michael Oren joins me, former ambassador of Israel to the United States, but he is not in Israel because he has frequent flyer miles forever. He's in Jupiter, Florida. Good morning, doctor. Thank you for getting up early today. Good morning. Very early. Good morning, Hugh. How are you? Good. I just had on Arsen Ostrovsky, who heads the International Legal Forum. Maybe you know him, maybe you don't, out of Tel Aviv. And I never learned about UNRWA until this week, Dr. Oren. How can we not know? I never, you know, I'm not that dumb. How does anyone like me not know that UNRWA is a corrupt and rather unique UN organization? It's unique, corrupt, and one of the greatest factors that perpetuates the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. A tremendous con- contributor to that conflict because it educates uh, Palestinian young people to basically reject the idea of the state of Israel, to um, to seek what they call return. Return is just a euphemism for Israel's uh, destruction. And beyond that, it's the only uh, it's the only refugee organization that deals with one refugee problem, the Palestinian problem. All other refugees in the world, all the issues, millions and millions of people are under the high commissioner of the UN for refugees. Palestinians have their own organization. It's the only organization in the world that passes on refugee status from father to son to grandson and great-grandson, and I would add one more thing, it is the only refugee organization in the world that continues to uh, to bestow refugee status on refugees who are actually living in their homeland, because the refugees in Gaza are living in Palestine, the refugees in the West Bank are living in Palestine, by their own definition, and the refugees in Jordan are citizens of Jordan, and yet they're still considered refugees. All right, so riddle me this. How do we not know this? And I say we broadly, meaning... Smart Americans who generally support Israel and and follow the Israeli conflicts and are always on the side of the IDF. But UNRWA exists out there. It's evidently gotten billions of dollars. It's so corrupt. I'm actually gobsmacked. I did not know that thousands of them took up arms against Israel. How do we not know that in the United States? We tried and we tried and we tried. We couldn't get people to listen to us. We've been talking about UNRWA for years, years and years, and saying it's got to stop. And I wrote an article recently for uh, Sapir magazine. It's an article magazine started by Brett Stevens, where I talked about the day after. And one of the conditions for the day after is that UNRWA never be allowed to set foot again in Gaza. Can't. That's perpetuating the conflict. So when we see an UNRWA school is destroyed, blown up intentionally, and there's a big story in the New York Times today about the idea of blowing up building, we shouldn't think of it as an UNRWA school. We ought to think of it as a Hamas depot, Right. Hamas headquarters or Hamas uh, arsenal or Hamas rocket factory. Uh, They've all been found in UNRWA schools, Um, of course. And it's paid for by U.S. tax dollars. The previous president had cut off support for UNRWA. The current administration had renewed it. And and I'll make a prediction. I tweeted a prediction the other day that these countries, the United States and uh, nine other countries that have suspended support for UNRWA because 12 members of UNRWA, 12 teachers, were implicated in the massacres of October 7th, um, UNRWA would then say, listen, we're doing an internal investigation, we're cleaning our house, uh, and those funds would be renewed within a short period of time. And I think the State Department has said the suspension is not indefinite. Um, and they're reviewing it. That's my feeling that, that they're not going to cut off funds to UNRWA during an election year. Um, but they should know. 
that if you actually care about the Palestinians, the last thing you should do is give money to UNRWA. Okay, very quickly, Michael, what brings you back to the United States so quickly after your Hatzalah tour? Well, at the beginning of my uh, uh, of this war, I I established an NGO called Israel Advocacy Group, IAG, which uh, promotes and defends Israel uh, in the media, both in the United States, throughout the world, all forms of the media. As you see, 24-7, we're working. It's a very dedicated staff uh, to uh, prevent Israel and to give time and space, Hugh, time and space for the IDF to fill its mission. Um, and uh, we're working for that. You can see it also online. Um, Israel Advocacy Group. Israel Advocacy Group. I gather you are the leading figure in that, but what else is it doing? There's only one Michael Oren. You can only do 24-7, 365. You got anyone else out there on the circuit spreading the word? It's we have a, a dedicated team of young people who work literally around the clock for social media, for uh, podcasts. You know my uh, my my Substack Clarity. Uh, that involves a lot of work, a lot of research, a lot of uh, editing to get that out there. Um, if you get the, uh, I would strongly recommend to read today's Clarity. You'll love it, Hugh. It's called "When Will They Ever Learn?" It's about America's non-response to Iranian aggression and how that non-response will actually lead to more aggression, not to less aggression, and actually endangers the entire, pitching the entire region into a war by non-response. Um, read the clarity. It's things you don't get in the press. I will. Last question, Michael. Uh, the president says he knows how he's going to respond to Iran. Do you think he'll respond to targets inside of Iran or on the periphery or far away? Well, I've been listening to American news, uh, you know, CNN, MSNBC. And I've watched uh, Democratic figure after Democratic figure saying that they're not going to respond to Iran. It's amazing. Iran says we're not afraid of war. Um, America keeps on saying we're afraid of war. It's an extraordinary moment. And um, and I, I, in this Clarity article, I suggest one target. Here's a good target for you. Now, why doesn't the United States bomb the factory that made the drone that killed the American service? Now? It's a blow to Iran and a blow to Russia. Excellent idea. I heard that from Jim Garrity as well. When Garrity and Oren are agreeing on a target list, I think that's a good target list. Dr. Michael Oren, Dr. Michael Oren on X, the site formerly known as Twitter, the Israel Advocacy Forum as well. Go and find and support Dr. Oren's group. Thank you, Michael Oren. I'll be right back, America. Stay tuned. The Hugh Hewitt Show continues. I want to remind everyone, a great sponsor of the program is MyPhDWeightLoss.com. Generalissimo went on that program more than a year ago, lost 50 pounds. He's kept it off. And uh, stress eating is not allowed, I don't believe, even though we're under a lot of... Uh, sure uh, tempted uh, to this week, aren't we? Uh, everybody is. I, but, but we don't... I'm sure they give you tricks of the trade to combat that because that's one of the habits. You broke that habit. You're not going by Del Taco or Taco no. Bell. Have not. No. You haven't relapsed. Have not relapsed. And that um, is a, and it's healthy, it's wise, it's yes. productive. 864-644-1900. That's 864-644-1900. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolf. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 
800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Josh Kroshauer is the editor of Jewish Insider. You can follow him on X at Josh Kroshauer. Josh, good morning. How are you? Good, Hugh. Good to be back with you. I have not, I didn't believe the New York police story when I first saw it on Twitter that eight migrants had beaten up two New York City cops. I didn't believe it. I thought, oh, that's misinformation. That's nonsense. Turns out it's true. And it turns out, as you tweeted out, they've been released. Would you tell people about this? Yeah, um, well, the, the five of the, the, the criminals who beat up the New York uh, police officers had a, had, a, had a trial date. They were released, you know, no bail, and then they're roaming the streets right now. Um, and then one of the, I believe one of the uh, criminals gave the middle finger to, to, to law enforcement as he walked out of the courtroom. Yeah, I've got um, that picture. Is, Do we know where the, they're from? Um, I, I don't have that in front of me right now. I, the, the, the New York papers have reported that they're, they're, they're illegal migrants um, in, in the country illegally. But uh, that, that that's uh, the extent of what I've seen from the reporting. But, you know, it, it raises a lot of lot of issues, Hugh. But one of them in New York is the fact that a very left wing, a newly left wing New York City council passed the, these bail reform laws that basically has, has created this revolving door where criminals commit serious crimes and they're let back out on the streets. And it's a constant process where uh, folks aren't kept in jail there. There's no bail. I think that there was an amendment to the to the reform that that tried to roll some of the, the progressivism back. Um, but still, it, it makes it a lot harder for judges to keep criminals off the streets. And that's what we're seeing in real time with this heinous crime that took place in New York. Now, Josh, right when Square. you uh, posted the story, I went and read it. They the attack occurred at the corner of 42nd and 7th. I think I walk past that corner every time I'm in New York because it's between Penn Station and Midtown where I'm working or staying. That's not like the outer boroughs. That's not a tough part of town. That's the tourist capital of New York. And they've got a migrant center there, eight of whom beat up two New York City cops. That is not good for New York, is it? No, it's not good for New York. It, it's a it's a it's a trend or it's a it's a real malady that's affecting many, many major cities on the East Coast. Uh, you know, D.C. is sort of facing a similar problem where you have a very I would call it a hard left city council that has tried to decriminalize crime and, and the, the, the so serious crime. And, and finally, there's been a political backlash, but it's been. Long, a long time coming where you see, you know, streets sort of look, looking a lot more menacing than they did a few years ago. And where you see, you know, again, laws leading to juvenile criminals kind of being released back on the streets, not being held, not being prosecuted. And you have this cycle you hear about the cycle of violence. Well, you're seeing a direct correlation between these very, very um, progressive uh, criminal justice reforms and the rise in, in violent crime that's been taking place across many major cities. Now, Josh, I live in D.C. most of the year in the Beltway. This was not the situation when we moved back in 2016. It is the situation now. A, uh, a fellow was gunned and is carjacking on 9th Street and Northwest the other day. Uh, people know him. What, what happened in D.C. that it changed in seven years? I mean, it literally, you don't want to go downtown now. 
Yeah, I mean, DC has a lot of factors. I think DC is almost more unique than New York because if you walk in downtown Washington, even during the day in the middle of the week, it's empty. The off the I mean, I think there's a, an added impact with COVID and. In, in D.C., almost all the government office buildings, many people don't work uh, from the offices five days a week. So you you literally have empty real estate in some of the most prized neighborhoods or the, the, the kind of the center of downtown. And it just has had a real impact on just the livability and, and the crime, you know, uh, safety and crime issues uh, that have just gone, gone out of control. But there's, D.C. is also we see this in Chicago, D.C., Philadelphia, New York. It's not just a like a, Demo, a Democratic city council. It's a, a left wing. The left wing has taken over the Democratic Party in many of these cities. They have majorities on the city council, the super majorities in the case of New York. So, like, look, go back, go back to New York, Hugh. Uh, the city council is is poised to override this veto that basically requires uh, cops to file all kinds of additional paperwork that essentially make it harder for them to actually police crime. It's it was opposed by Mayor Adams, who's a Democrat. It was it was. Uh, cited by a lot of law enforcement officials as, as, as showing that it would delay the response time for for all the, the crimes that are that are on the rise in New York City. And well, yet it's also a lawsuit magnet, them. Josh. If you get five officers involved and they file five reports and there's any inconsistencies or inaccuracy, it's a lawsuit magnet. Let me close with this. Kristen Cinema is mad yeah. at people like me who don't like the border bill, even though we're just guessing what's not in it. I'm guessing there's no border wall in it. Josh, do you think there's any border wall in it, and should there be? Well, we have to see the language. Um, the, the big, the big elements of what we're hearing from this compromise is tougher standards on migrants seeking asylum, giving the president more power to shut down the border if if if, if it gets out of control, as we've seen in recent months, adjusting asylum rules. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see if there's, a, you know, we haven't heard of any details about actual construction or funding. For construction of, of of a border wall, though I wouldn't be surprised if there was some 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 element of that in, in, in the compromise. But look, that's what compromises are about, right? You're not no, no one's going to get everything they want. Part of this compromise also involves funding for Ukraine and Israel, so there's a foreign policy component to the, to the larger talks. Um, but yeah, like this is the, you're seeing sort of what what happens when you have sort of the moderates work together you know, on a compromise. You're, you're not going to have either side getting what they like. If we, there's we, no wall, there will be no Republican votes. It, it's that simple. I just want people to report on that. No wall, no bill. Josh Crosshour can be found on X at Josh Crosshour. Follow him. Read him at the Jewish Insider as well. Josh, always good to see you. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, Arlie. Thank you, Generalissimo. I'll be back tomorrow on the next Hugh Hewitt Show. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.